0: If you are looking to earn more, then this is the episode for you because with the cost of living crisis, inflation, the up to 30% pay cuts for some doctors over the last 10 years, we understand that lots of doctors are looking to earn more income. So we are going to discuss some ways that doctors can earn more today, including some smarter ways that we think. And we're also going to dive deep into the tax scenario around some of these because there are some tax traps around them. So this is part three of what we're calling our side hustle series, which has been running on YouTube. So if you're watching on YouTube, hopefully you've seen part one and two. If you're on the podcast, you won't have seen part one and two. So your options are either go watch YouTube or I'll give you a real quick summary. So in part one, I talked about How to evaluate, if you're looking to start a side hustle, how do you evaluate whether it's a good idea? And I just use a simple four-part framework for that, which is, does your side hustle solve a problem for someone or some people, ideally, more people, the better? Do you have a monetization plan with your side hustle? Are you passionate about your side hustle? And I talked about why that's especially important for doctors on the YouTube. And if you don't want too many competitors doing it, you need an unfair advantage. So that's part one on YouTube. Part two on YouTube, I talked a bit about leverage, which is a way to work less and earn more, which if you think that sounds like a scam, you should probably check out part two on YouTube because leverage is a way of multiplying your efforts. I'm gonna do a quick example of leverage in a minute after the intro. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP.
1: And by me, Dr. Ed Cantilow, a GP, but also a Chartered Accountant and Chartered Tax Advisor.
0: This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. All right, mate, back on the podcast and YouTube uh, today. How are you?
1: Yeah, not too bad, thank you, Tommy. It's uh, good to see you again. How are you?
0: I'm Good. This time yesterday, you won 't believe it, but me and Ed were both wearing a suit, which is very rare, but we were on the cause of pushing medic's money forward and we had to put a suit on we've definitely gone the other way today because I 've gone trucky bees, and I mean you look good, mate, but we're we're at the more casual end of the dress spectrum today
1: yeah de- definitely, yeah, I really hate wearing suits, quite frankly, so I'm very glad to be back in more uh, more comfortable clothes and like to wear those awful awful shoes. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, the shoes, my feet still hurt. I can sympathize with anyone who has to wear them every day. But that was yesterday. Today is today. We are launching straight into how we can help doctors to make more money. Because we often talk about saving money and saving tax. And that is, no. That I would definitely start there. But at a certain point, specifically after 10 years of up to 30% pay cuts, doctors are looking for extra income sources. So we are going to break down... Doing locums or waiting list initiatives and we can talk about the pros and cons of those. We can talk about private work. We'll talk about a couple of other innovative income streams. So I think we should just get straight into it. But normally when we talk about this, the first question someone asks us is, oh, what about passive income? Passive income, it it does exist, but it it can be elusive. And I think doctors have a passive income problem. Okay. And I talked about this in the YouTube video, but I'm going to quickly go through it now. Okay. So, Hey, check out this as well right i've got a new toy which you're going to see if you're watching youtube so i'm just going to demonstrate to you why doctors have a problem with this so if you're a doctor okay you go to work for one hour i apologize for the red pen by the way i couldn't find a black one and i found a green pen but i don't know about you but green pen reminds me of when i was a doctor on the wards the pharmacist always used to write In green pen, it'd be like, Dr. Perkins, are you sure you wish to prescribe this drug with a patient with an EGFR 10? And you're like, oh no, 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 you're right. (laughs) As it goes, thanks. So green pen bring back traumatic memories from the pharmacist and hi to all our pharmacy colleagues out there. Thanks for what you do. So I'm in red pen. So you're a doctor, you work for one hour, okay? You receive one hour of pay. Let's call it one pound. Things haven't got that bad yet, but if uh, pay cuts carry on the way they are, maybe that will be a reality one day. And if you want more money as a doctor, you have to work more hours because you're trading one hour of your time for one hour of your money. Okay. And that is a bit of a problem because doctors already work hideously long hours. So we're going to talk about this, some methods that we think have a bit of leverage. Okay. So leverage is this. Okay. Let's just say I spend one hour doing something with leverage and I did a whole YouTube on this. So I'm just doing a quick summary today, but let's say I write a book. Okay. Okay and i spend one hour writing it okay and then i sell four books okay so i've got leverage there because i've translated one hour of my time into four units of money okay so you can either do more work and get more money or obviously stating the obvious if you wish to do a quarter of the work and get the same money that is possible okay so that is leverage i think this is a really important skill to understand for doctors because doing extra work doing extra hours yeah it's great we're going to talk about that but If you can get leverage, it's generally good. And we're going to talk about some things that have leverage. So true Blue Peter style. Here is one I prepared earlier. My writing is pretty average. Okay, so the categories we're going to break down is ease of starting. Okay, how easy is it to get started with this new income stream? How much money will you make? Income generation potential like initially? Will you get paid initially, or will it take years to make any money? The opposite of that, I guess, is wealth generation. Is, is this going to generate you know, wealth for you going forward? Is this an asset that you can allow to accumulate over time? Passive, question mark. So that's basically kind of alluding to leverage that I just talked about. Ed's going to talk about the tax situation, which is really important. We're going to give it a score out of 25, and we're going to tell you which one wins. I don't actually know either because we haven't scored it. So first one we are going to talk about, mate, is... Am I going to group locum and waiting list initiative together?
1: Yeah, let's do both.
0: Okay. So locum or waiting list initiative. So I think like nought, nought to 5 for the scores. Yeah. So ease of starting. This has got to be a five. I mean, there's tons of locum work out there. There's more locum work than anyone could do. Do you think that's fair?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, five. Oh, I do
0: hear on the grapevine that locum work for GPs have slowed down a bit, but... But I'm just going to say, yeah, there's plenty of waiting list initiatives going on. So I'm going to give it a five. Um, Income generation. So how quickly do you generate the income doing a locum or waiting list initiative? Pretty quick, eh? Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, you you go do the work, you get paid within the month usually, don't you?
0: Unless NHS payroll do something wrong or something like that. But yeah, ideally within the month. So what do you want to give that? Are we going five again? Yeah, I would... All right. Locum work is looking good right now, but there is a sting in this locum work tale. Don't you worry. Wealth generation. So what I mean by this, or what we mean by this is, is this an asset that is going to accumulate, appreciate over time? And is it going to allow you to start leveraging your time, like the diagram that I just showed you? What are your thoughts on that, mate?
1: So I think it's going to score quite lowly for that category. I think that's where the... I'm it, thinking well,
0: it's zero. Like. Yeah.
1: I think zero or one, but I think, no, zero. Actually, there isn't any work generations there, basically. Nah.
0: Are we going zero or one? Let's go zero. I'm yeah, I know my five times table, whereas I might struggle to add up odd numbers. Okay, passive rating. I mean, that's just a straight zero. Okay, just have a look at this diagram. Okay, if you are doing locum work, you are trading one hour of your time for one hour of your money. So there is no passive income rating there. Tax mate, this is your forte. Tell us what you need to know if you're thinking about doing locum work or waiting list initiative work from a tax point of view.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing to say is that it kind of depends on the type of locum. Okay, so I'll come on to that a bit more in a second. But generally, for hospital doctor locums, and doctors doing waiting list initiatives, they're usually doing that when they're classified as employees. Okay, and therefore will be taxed accordingly. So. You know, a lot of you guys are, if not all of you guys, will be already employees. So you know the drill there. So you're taxed according to the income tax rates of your country, which in most of the UK is twenty percent, forty percent, or forty-five percent. But of course, in Scotland, there's a few more, few more rates: nineteen percent, twenty percent, twenty-one, forty-two, and forty-seven percent. So you're taxed at your income tax rate. There's also national insurance as well, which around the UK is twelve percent on any salary between. 12,570 up to 50,270 and then 2% above that. Okay, so if you start to do extra locum work or a waiting list initiative, then you should be paying your marginal rate of income tax, which again, as I said, in the of the UK is 10, 20, 45, so 20, 40, 45. And then national insurance for most people, if you start to take on extra work, you should be paying 2% national insurance. Now, I just want to say, on that note, two things, okay, which uh, just to give you a bit of extra value for this this video. If you're doing a hospital locum or a waiting initiative, you know, make sure you definitely keep an eye on your, your tax code, something that we, I mean, this money we talk about all the time because it's so easy for that tax code to go wrong in the NHS, okay, so keep an eye on your tax code. If you locum for a different trust, which you may not do, but if you do work for a different, different trust, then HMRC might kind of mess up your tax code. If you see a tax code that says BR, 0 t or D0 next to where it says tax code on your locum payslip, that might be okay. But if your main job, your main job payslip starts to display one of those tax codes I just, I just said, BR0T or D0, you're likely paying the wrong amount of tax. Okay, so if you do start locum in, watch out, it may change your tax code by mistake and you may end up overpaying tax in particular. If you are worried about your tax code, if you you know go to our, our website, medicsmoney.co.uk, We've got a blog all about tax codes and what to do if they're wrong. Okay. So that's the first thing to mention. The second thing is you also might end up potentially overpaying national insurance. So if you already have a salary over fifty thousand two hundred and seventy pounds, then you should be paying 2% national insurance on any extra employment income you receive over that. Okay. If you work for a different trust, they may not realize that you're, your situation and they may start charging you 12% national insurance instead of the 2% so you may overpay national insurance as well okay so if you think you've overpaid national insurance if you think it's 12% and not 2% if you contact the national insurance contributions office they can help you sort that out and uh, I think I, I met up with a really really close friend yesterday he's an anesthetist and he had exactly the same issue and uh, the national insurance contributions office just sorted it out on the phone for him way more helpful than, our, than their HMRC, HMRC colleagues, basically. So definitely think about that, okay? If you're a GP thinking about locum, in, you actually have a couple of extra options, okay? So it's really important just to mention these from a tax perspective because GP locums, they have the option to be self-employed or even, if they wanted to, to trade via a limited company. For anyone who becomes self-employed, you pay income tax just as you would have done as an employee, but you pay in the income tax on your taxable profits as opposed to your salary, and you're paying a slightly lower national insurance rate. So instead of twelve percent for that income band that I mentioned, it's it's nine percent. So a slight slight decrease. Okay. Other things to note as well, though, you'd need to register with HMRC for self employment and start completing self assessment tax returns, and then obviously rather than you know no one's going to take income tax off your income for you if you get paid a chunk of income nobody takes off any income tax on national insurance etc if you're self-employed so you need to make sure that you keep aside a proportion of your income and then make payments to HMRC when they're due and that's usually under what's called the payment on account regime you make tax payments in January and July of each year. Final thing to say if you, if you are a GPO and you're self-employed you can pension up to 90% of your income that you receive and therefore take advantage of the NHS pension. People can also, if they wanted to, set up a limited company and trade that way as well. The way tax works for companies, and I'm going to go into this in a bit of detail here because it applies to some of the other things we're going to be talking about a bit later. So I'm going to cover it off now. Companies pay corporation tax on their profits at 19% if your profits are below 50000 and 25% if above 250000 and then between those two profit levels, you get something called marginal relief, which reduces your tax bill. But basically works out with a marginal tax rate of 26.5%, which basically means every pound of profit you earn in that in that bracket, you're paying basically 26.5% tax. Companies don't pay any national insurance and any income received, you can't pension that income. So if you were to operate via a company, you can't pension any any income that you receive. Okay, There's also more admin if you set up a company because you've got to file accounts at company's house you've got to do corporation tax returns there are various other forms that Companies house will insist that you do usually yearly then the big rub the, well there are two big rubs already for if you set up a company but the biggest one in many ways is if you need to take the money out you know how does that work for tax because there's a next it basically adds an extra layer of taxation here so if you need to take money out of the company how do you do that well you can either pay yourself a salary and then of course you're paying income tax and national insurance just like you would do if you were locum in as an employee your company will also have to pay pay employers national insurance so that's another cost that's 13.8 percent of that salary the alternative you can pay out the company's profits as, as dividends which are taxed at a slightly lower rate so those are rates of 8.75 percent if you're basically a taxpayer 33.75 percent for higher rate taxpayers and 39.35 percent for additional Higher rate taxpayers. So overall, if you want to trade via a company, any of these scenarios that we're going to mention, definitely, definitely think about getting specialist advice from a specialist medical accountant. Consider if realistically, it is actually worth doing versus the other options of being an employee or being um, self-employed. Of course, the other thing which I'm not going to go into in huge details here is, of course, the IR35 um, scenario, which a lot of you people watching or listening will remember. Is that situation where someone sets up a company but basically hmrc think of it as a disguised employment and basically ignore the company and treat you as an employee even though you set up a company okay now again this is a really important thing to mention okay for people that do want to locum or take on extra work under this under the waiting list initiative and so on okay when you consider taking on extra work it's really important to consider what's called your marginal rate of tax. We've already had one example of that when I talked about the corporation tax stuff a little bit ago, okay? Your marginal rate, that's the tax rate you pay on an additional one pound earned, and that may not be the same as the actual tax rates laid down by law, okay? The classic instance where this is different is where your income, or basically adjusted net income to be precise, where that exceeds 100,000 pounds. At that level of income, you should be paying an income tax rate of 40% in the UK, aside from Scotland, where it would be 42%. Now, when you go above £100,000, the government will start to take away £1 of your personal allowance, your tax-free personal allowance. For every £2, uh, your adjusted net income exceeds £100,000. So you basically end up, when you crunch the numbers, you end up paying a 60% marginal tax rate on each additional £1 that you earn. So it's important to think about that. You know, your tax rate isn't, let's say you're in England, it's not 40%. You're losing your personal allowance when you go above that level of income. So your tax rate, your marginal tax rate is 60%, which is obviously higher. And it gets worse for some people. If you've got children, if you go even just £1 above £100,000 of adjusted net income, you lose access to something called the tax-free childcare scheme, where the government gives up to £2,000 a year per child towards childcare costs, which, you know, you could think, well... Let's say you are on, you know, £99,999 and you think I'm going to do this, you know, waiting list initiative for a couple of thousand pounds. You know, that could cost you a lot of money if you then lose access to the tax free child care scheme. And then finally, on that note, if your adjusted income is £50,000 and you're claiming child benefit, then as your adjusted income goes above 50000 the government start clawing back any child benefit received via what's called the higher income child benefit charge, such that by £60,000 of adjusted net income, you have to pay back the entirety of the child benefit that you've received. So just think about it. If you're doing an extra locum shift, you know, getting additional employment income or um, locum income as a sole trader for a GP locum, or you're getting dividends from your own company, just think about what impact that additional income might have on your marginal tax rate. You know, we're not trying to dissuade people from doing extra work. There's a cost-living crisis. The NHS is screaming out for, for help and getting waiting times down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, we're just merely pointing out that that extra shift may actually have unexpected consequences for your tax position uh, and needs to be really considered carefully, um, especially definitely regarding that tax-free childcare scheme because that could be that could be a really costly, well, not error, but it could be a costly mistake, I guess, error, if you take on uh, an extra shift and end up losing access to that scheme. Okay, so... I appreciate I've spoken quite a lot um, and we need to work out how on earth we're going to score that. But it is just yeah, just something we thought was quite important. And as I say, it lays the foundations for the other types of income we're going to talk about as well.
0: Mate, we might be wearing our tracksuit bottoms and no longer wearing our fancy shoes like yesterday, but you've come out absolutely swinging there. There was just like value after value there. Right, that was, I'm going to try and give a summary to make sure for, for mere mortals that we've understood it correctly. But if you thought that was useful and you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button hit the subscribe button, leave us some kind of comment because it helps the algorithm. If you're listening on the podcast, we really appreciate all your ratings and reviews, not because it helps mine and Ed's egos, but because it helps other doctors to discover our podcast. So just if that helped you, give us a rating. We don't, you know, there's no cost for this podcast, but it ain't free. You got to leave us a nice rating if you find it useful. So <laughs> how to summarize it. So basically, if you go in PAYE, what's your tax code, right? And you explain that. We got a guide on that the national insurance tip absolutely great tip and everyone loves our tax guide because it saves doctors thousands of pounds on super expensive fees like gmc and exams definitely check out the guide on our website if you haven't got that but your national insurance tip we get people who are just like, I've never heard of this before and I heard about it on your podcast. Thank you so much. So don't neglect that national insurance tip. And great that your anaesthetist mate has got a uh, refund. Uh, I'm assuming that was uh, as a direct result of a conversation with his good friend, Dr. Ed Cantello. Cantelo. I think he's an
1: avid listener of all, all our Medics Money stuff. So uh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, you better have left a review and subscribed on YouTube. And then you talked to me about the marginal rate. This is absolutely key. Like, if you get caught in one of those marginal rate tax traps that Ed mentions, you know, extra work in a logical, straightforward tax system should result in extra money. And, and uh, you know, but if you get caught in one of those marginal rate tax, especially if you get stung by that tax free childcare trap over 100K of un- adjusted net income, something that we've been banging on about for years, it is punitive. So watch out for that. OK, you said that you can't pension your locum work if you're a GP locum and via a limited company which is another thing that non-specialist accountants miss all the time and you have to factor that into your calculations I'm going to add a quick clarification that you could pension that work into a private pension but not the NHS pension so that's what Ed was talking about there we see non-specialist accountants <laughs> advising GP locums all the time and they haven't even talked about that that is just absolutely ridiculous so great work Limited company, I'm glad you talked about that because that's gonna be very relevant to our next category of work, which we're gonna talk about, spoiler. You talked about IR35, wow. Talked about tax-free childcare, what did I miss? That was an epic, epic delivery of the basics there.
1: Yeah, no, I think that was, that was, that was one of the main points, absolutely, so
0: a lot of uh, food for thought just for thinking about taking on a, an extra income shift. Yeah, definitely. And if you're thinking, oh, no, that means what am I going to do for extra money. Keep watching because we've got some all right ideas coming up, I reckon. Right back to my amazing hand-drawn diagram, which is being held in place by my hand. Thank you so much to everybody who's asked about my hand. As you can see, you know, my thumb index finger and middle finger got chopped clean off. You can kind of see the scar there. Things are going okay. Middle finger's got some issues, but thank you so much for everyone who asked and more thank you to everyone who helped me from hems, the paramedics amazing St George's team you know who you are but thank you and it's been so great to meet so many of you while well, I've been mean, I spent most of the summer in St George's I went there every three days on average for uh, about eight weeks but making progress so what's the score mate what are we going to give it I don't want to score it I'm just going to say what I'm gonna do. what you say it
1: is really hard to score but I think you've got to score lower than certain other categories because in general income tax is than other other taxes which might Apply to other situations, you've got national insurance, you've got the, the marginal tax rate trap. You know, it's going to be scoring, it's going to score low. Okay. I wouldn't necessarily say zero because at least, you know, if you're in some situations, for example, if you're a, a hospital doctor, there is a little bit of ease in terms of people just doing the, the paying the tax, you know, take doing the pay as you earn system and paying the tax for you. Although, of course, that often doesn't go quite right with the old payroll companies. But I mean, what do you reckon? One, two. It's not going to be zero, I was thinking
0: one. Sounds good. You, yeah, you say, if you say one, that's good enough for me. If you disagree, disagree in the comments. So one, so I'm doing maths in public, speed maths here. I need your help. I'm going to give that a total of 11, right? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's locum work, awaiting list initiatives. Okay, the next category that I think we've got to talk about, and we are getting way more inquiries about this than this time last year. So we we, we see the data and that is private work. Okay, so private work, not, an area that, you know, I'm experienced in, but I have spoken to lots of colleagues who are doing it. So I have got some kind of ideas to throw in here. But like I said, if you disagree with our ratings, disagree in the comments on YouTube. Algorithm loves that. We went viral on TikTok the other day, over 700,000 views. And it was just it was just me explaining the NHS pension scheme. And loads of people were in the comments saying, you don't understand pensions, you've got it all wrong. Uh, but actually what it was is that they didn't understand the NHS pension was slightly different. So anyway, TikTok, ease of starting private work. What do you think, mate? I...
1: It's tougher, isn't it? I don't really. I, I've never done it myself. I've never set up a private work practice, and I don't. I guess. I guess there's quite a lot. There's quite a lot to think about, isn't there? I don't think. I think. I don't think it's. It's definitely not going to be as easy to do as as taking a locum shift. Absolutely, you're going to have to think about quite a lot of different things, in your insurance. Actually, how you're going to trade. You know, do you need other things? Do you need premises? Do you need tools? Do you need what do you need? So, there's definitely going to be some difficulties. It looks like it's difficult, but difficulties in setting this up. And yeah, then, what do you think? Three. Yeah, I go for three. Middle of the middle of the road.
0: Yeah, you got your knowledge. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's not as hard. It's not as easy as you said as just doing a locum shift. Uh, but it's not as hard as some of the other things we've got coming up. So we've got to score that accordingly. Yeah, I feel like we should have got those little things that they have on Strictly. I've been watching Strictly with with my daughters and my son. It's loving it, actually. Is it okay to uh, admit that? Okay, income generation. So, again, just to remind you, this is like how easy is it to just turn up and get paid? What are your thoughts on this? Private work,
1: you know. I, again, I, I thought it was, you know, fairly decent. To be honest, I guess you've got to take control of the making sure you get the get the income. I guess you've got to you've got to go and actually source the work yourself potentially. Then you've got to make sure that you actually invoice the people that are that that you're doing the work for then you've got to make sure you get that your cash in so you know you're starting to actually operate more as a business now aren't you than turning up for work to do a local shift and going again so there's a little bit it's more nuanced but it should you'd have thought for sort of medical private practice work it shouldn't be that it should be quite good i'd have thought
0: yeah i guess like in the back of my mind i'm thinking like cash flow is an issue and if you're not if you don't run a business and you're not familiar with cash flow what it basically means is like uh how much money do you have to spend before the money comes in right so i think you've got to spend a bit before it comes in and like you say you've got to bill it and stuff so i mean this is like i are sitting on the fence a bit here but i'm feeling this could be like a three.
1: Uh, i think that's fair you know you've got you got to you know so you've got to get you've got to source the work you've got to then build people for the work you then got to chase up the the money Okay. There are various yeah. things you can software you can use to to help with that, but yeah, it's yeah, I think freezer a a perfectly good rating for that.
0: What are you feeling about wealth generation for private work? So,
1: I think this is a, you know it's again definitely going to be better than than for for Locomin, et cetera. etc. I mean, with private work, it kind of I mean it, it depends. There are probably going to be you know situations mm-hmm. where this isn't quite as appropriate, but if you're going to have you know you could potentially be building up a business which has quite a bit of value to it so there, there will be some potential wealth generation if you have a business that you know, is quite profitable and down the line you could you know it grow, grows in value so it's really tough i mean like it, again, i'm sure it's going to depend on on the actual what you're doing and the business you're running etc but again i think about three again i reckon two or three what do you reckon yeah i'm feeling a three
0: Wow, well, I was thinking, too, because although you are building up a business, it's notoriously hard to sell the private practice. And it goes back to my diagram that I drew here, because in, in the private practice, you're still it's still you're exchanging one hour of your time for one unit of money. Yes, you're exchanging it for more units of money than if you were in the NHS a sweeping statement, but probably true. But you're still fixed to that one hour of time to one hour of money. And I'm feeling two, mate. I'm going to go two. So it kind of leads on to the passive rating of this. Mm. I mean, it's not zero because of the reasons that you outlined, but I'm going to give that a one. Do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's going to it's going to be zero, but it's going to be very low, isn't it?
0: Yeah, you're still on that. You know, one hour of time for one unit of money, and I did show an example of a doctor who has managed to. Scale, so stop exchanging one hour of their time for one hour of money by employing other people to do the work. I did that in the YouTube video. I think it's quite a neat example. It is possible. I know that there's people who are doing it. I'm listening to this. So if, if you want to drop it in the comments, let us know, but what are we going, one? Yeah, let's go for one. All right, tax. I have nothing to add. So whatever you say, I'm going to agree with. Yeah, so you know, in terms of tax, a
1: lot of what I've already said already is going to apply. So basically... If you're working doing private work again you've got to think to yourself well how you know how am I going to trade how am I actually going to go about getting this private work and doing this private work what what business structure am I going to use and I'd imagine that a lot of people doing this would have would have the ability to set up a, a kind of a separate business to their their main job maybe that this does become their main main business their main job but i a lot of people probably would have the have the ability potentially to have a separate business to their main job and as such you know you've got various options again but how you set up you know doing this private work you know will you be a sole trader or basically as in self-employed or will you set up a company and if you do have a an actual main job and this is a you know doing private work on the side you know trading via a company may become more attractive because you may not necessarily have to take all that money out of the company so when the the like i said before one of the issues we have in a company is it's not just a case that you're paying that lower corporation tax and no national insurance and and all this stuff, which, you know, a lot of people think that's brilliant. That sounds really good. The issue is then when you get the money out of the company, how are you going to do that and the the income taxes that that flow from that? But if, you know, some people might have the option to, to keep a lot of that money in the company and then. Take the money out in stages when they want to you could even some people even and it's not necessarily going to case a lot of people but you could even keep the money in the company and when you finally end the company strike it off and take it out as capital rather than as, as income so you've got a little you've got more options we talked about how you know if you're doing private work and you have a company They can be notoriously not the easiest things to sell as businesses but if you are able to do that if you do actually set up a new private work that does end up being able to be, you know, a sellable company. Again, I'm not saying that will be the case and it is, as Tommy alluded to, quite difficult, but if you, if you do, you can take advantage of quite generous, what we call business asset disposal relief or entrepreneur's relief as it used to be called, in which you have pay a lower 10% capital gains tax on the first one million pound of profits and 20% over that. So it's definitely going to be better from a tax perspective, or, or it should be potentially better from a tax perspective. Of course, as always, everyone's personal circumstances are different. It's impossible to to cater for every single different person out there and every different type of work. But I'd have thought this was going to get a better rating, not like stellar, but maybe like a two, two or three, but two, I reckon, for this, given, given as you say, the issues is we're we'll trying to actually sell the company if you're doing private work.
0: In Boom. no way am I trying to fix this or manipulate the results. But if we give it a two, it's going to tie with local work. And I'm feeling... The tax efficiency, you know, I think there's quite a lot you could do here. We've talked about this at length in the we past. A so could I possibly you more, you give you a three?
1: Yeah, you've got a lot more flexibility. And there are some significant up,
0: upside potential here. Boom. I've given it a three. Gets a 12. Okay. Next source yeah. of income. Yeah. Next source of income. I'm going to... This is one that I used to use a lot, right? And I like it. And uh, it is... Completing surveys. So coincidentally, at the moment, uh, Medicus Money's blog posts are being sponsored by a company that will pay you money to fill in surveys about, you know, what drugs you prescribe, what do you think of new drugs, etc. So check out our website if you haven't checked that out. But essentially, you fill out a survey and they pay you money. Downsides of this is like when I was a junior doctor, they pay the more <laughs> the more senior you are, the more they pay you. So I'm just going to throw that in there. But I used to use this all the time and I absolutely loved it because, well, I'll tell you why I love it as we go through. So ease of starting this, it's just a straight five. You literally go to our website, click the link, you register, and then they send you the details. You think that's fair? Yes, it's it's,
1: it's very easy, definitely.
0: Yeah. Income generation, they just pay you straight away. You have to worry about collecting the income or anything like that. I'm giving that a straight five. Wealth generation, it's got to be a zero on that
1: yeah yeah definitely
0: all right we're 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 motoring through this now passive income rating now we're still in that thing i don't want to keep showing my diagram but you're still exchanging one unit of your time for one hour of money but what i found is that you could just fill these surveys in on your phone in a sort of you know a gap in your day so although it's still one hour of time for one hour of money and so strictly not passive i think it it does have that kind of it's just easy, so I don't know. Don't let me talk you into things. What should I give it for passive? Yeah, I, as you say, it is. It is.
1: I think because of the ease and being able to do it when, whenever you want. I think uh, two or three. There is still some. You, there is still some yeah, feeling of three. Yeah, it's not like it's not fully, fully passive, but it's still as passive as it can be, really. Given that you're making. I some guess, act,
0: like instead of yeah, like scrolling. Breathe. Yeah, instead of scrolling TikTok and watching Medics Money's amazing TikTok videos, you could be making money. And our videos on TikTok are good, but not as good as actually making money. So I'm feeling a three, mate. Sounds tax, good. right. There must be some kind of sting or tax trap. Tell us, give us yeah. a tax lowdown. Yeah, so with this, you know,
1: income from competing surveys, you know, should be classified basically as what we call miscellaneous income because it's not actually really employment income. And obviously it's not self-employment income, et cetera. So it should be classified as miscellaneous income. And as such, the first £1,000 of income that you receive for this you know, should be covered by what's called the Trading Allowance, uh, which is a bit of a funny name because it covers not just trading income uh, but also miscellaneous income. So if you receive income from community surveys and it's less than £1,000, there shouldn't be any tax to pay. You don't need to do a self-assessment tax return for that. You don't need to tell HMRC. So pretty good, really, You know, up to £1,000 of tax-free income. But just out of interest, just... just for computing this I would just to say it's the same thing that really applies to income received from uh, cremation forms, by the way. So for those of you who haven't been aware of, of that, we've got a blog all about cremation from income as well. It's that strange trading allowance because it applies to miscellaneous income. You know, that's why a lot of people that get crem forms don't have to do a tax return and don't have to tell HMRC and, and pay tax on it. So so yeah, actually, really, really good. As long as it's going to go over £1,000 when you would have to potentially start doing tax returns and telling HMRC you know, a thousand pounds of income tax-free with a separate tax-free allowance. So I would go, I'll go five to be honest because it is it's so good, you know. Strong. When, when else would you use that amount? You, I guess you're trading already or you've got a thousand pounds of cremation form income, Yeah, you know. Not many people will have that. Mate, so.
0: I love it. Uh, and this is just this, like specific tax knowledge that I love because I bet a lot of people are sat there thinking, oh, I don't want to, you know, hit my marginal rate or don't want to lose some tax free childcare from completing surveys. Well, as you say, as long as it's under a thousand miscellaneous and you've got another miscellaneous income, it's about as tax efficient as it gets because, yeah, I love it. All right. So, eighteen. correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's 18. Good, good. So it's always good to have the accountant in the house. I've also drawn another line. Okay. Next category. Are we just saying investing or are we saying specifically property investing? I think we're going property investing, right? Yeah, yeah. if we're
1: talking about property investing, let's, let's go for that. Okay, cool.
0: This is something that lots of doctors love. Me and Ed aren't massively into it. We're about to explain why partly I'm imagining. Um, but let's just say ease of starting property investing. I don't think this is that easy. Um, I'm sure all the property gurus are screaming at their, at their uh, podcast right now. Uh, what are you feeling? I'm feeling like a two. Yeah,
1: I'll go for two. I mean, I, mean, I don't think, I'm not going to say necessarily, you know, when, when you say, you know, we're not we're not into it, it's more that I don't really have the the, the capital in the first place. I don't really want the the cost of taking on a second mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. So, and maybe not, especially with the interest rates as they are. So, and yeah, you've got to obviously source the property, you've got to then, you know, actually acquire it and all sorts of things. So, it's not, yeah, it's not going to be the easiest thing in the world to do. So, I think, yeah, I personally would give it a reasonably lower lowest rating
0: great to clarify that i didn't want to go down that rabbit hole but we've done a whole youtube on like the pros and cons of property investing exactly as you just said like capital intensive and people are saying oh you can just you know get put zero down and just get leveraged up well how's your leverage working out leverage work quite well when interest rates are one percent how's it working right now let me know in the comments i think we know the answer you need capital up front the tax situation you're going to tell us about it's not pretty I just find stocks and shares investing automatically every month, direct debit, no dramas, a lot easier declaration of interest. I do have quite a a large property investment, but it's a really niche one. If you're a GP partner, you'll know that we own or you can own part of your surgery. So that is got some advantages over, for example, buy to let investing. And we've done a whole YouTube video on why holiday rentals could make sense, so check that out. But yeah, I forgot what score you said, mate, before I went on my little tangent. I think we're thinking sort of lowish, like two,
1: three, I don't know. Yeah, I'm thinking I've i never invested in property, so I feel a little bit like I'm imagining things that are difficult, but it does seem to me like it is actually generally not the easiest thing in the world to do.
0: Yeah, I think it's like, yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Income generation, how quickly do you get, how easy is it to get that money? So I guess if we said like locum work, you just sort of get paid, Straight away, uh, in theory, property investing. I'm feeling it's not not great, not that great. Well, I mean, you got to. I guess you got to first of all
1: find a tenant, haven't you? You got to actually sort of by finding someone that's going to then rent that property off you, whether it's uh, whatever type of property you're 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 acquiring, and then then they'll pay your rental income. I imagine you, you get that money like monthly. I mean, it's definitely yeah. So I, you know, it's I'll probably go for a three. I think for that move.
0: Exactly what I was thinking. Three, definitely. Okay. Wealth generation. I like it for this, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, that's very good. You know, shot. why? Absolutely. What are you feeling here? Probably a five, four or five. I mean, it's high, very high. Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean past performance does not represent I'm future saying, returns, yeah. insert disclaimer, etc. etc I, mean, I just think I'm giving this a five, mate, seriously. Yeah. Passive, all right. (laughs) I guess I do have a property investment so I can speak to this. You know, my stocks and shares portfolio is never gonna phone me up in the middle of the night and go, hi, Tommy, I see that you own Apple shares and Apple's boiler has broken. Can you send a plumber around, okay? That's why I prefer investing in stocks and shares. Whereas <laughs> if you are renting properties and you've probably had that call in the past, I know you can get people to manage it for you and take all the stress out of it. They also destroy your profit margin. I know that sometimes all tenants are great, but some tenants are terrible. Passive income rating for property. Oof, I don't know. It's like maybe
1: two. Yeah. As you say, it's so variable, isn't it? Because you, you, I'm sure there are people out there that rent out property and get no trouble at all from anyone and that. Rental income goes into their bank account every month, and it's, you know, jobs are good, and, but there must be some people out there that just it's a bit of an absolute nightmare to in terms of that. So,
0: all right, should we go three middle of the road? Let's go three. Yeah, I think it's got huge passive potential, but it's also got not, not a potential tax score. What do you want to say about this, mate? Yeah, so
1: again, before we get the score, let's give it a little bit of a background because there are a number of things to think about when it comes to to property uh, and the tax consequences. So firstly, of course, you've got to acquire the property. And when you're doing that, you have to pay stamp duty land tax. Now, if you're buying a second uh, residential property or a third or fourth, whatever you're buying, you know, you're basically gonna have to pay an extra 3% stamp duty um, compared to what you'd normally pay. So for example, instead of 0% on the first 250,000 pounds of the value of the property, you'd pay 3% um, and then you'd pay 8% on the next £675,000 of value instead of 5% and so on. So basically you get 3% stamp duty added on to the purchase. That's the same in Northern Ireland as well. In Scotland, they've got the the land and buildings transaction tax, which is even higher rates of stamp duty for second properties with an extra 6% added to each rate as opposed to 3% in England and Northern Ireland. There are also more rates, more rate thresholds, that are lower, more rates. It's more Basically, overall, it's more expensive to buy a second property in Scotland. So if you're thinking about um, buying a property anywhere in the UK, but in particular Scotland, just think about the stamp duty costs of doing that. Uh, in Wales, just to include Wales, they've got a land transaction tax, which adds an extra 4% stamp duty on acquiring more property. So first of all, you've got to buy the property. And bear, bear in mind that there was, there's going to be significant stamp duty costs of doing that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Once you own the property and you start renting it out, you've got to let HMRC know and then start paying an income tax on that on the rental profits that you make, okay? That's rental profits above the first 1,000 pounds, which is covered by a special property allowance. Much like we talked about that trading allowance, there's also a special one for property as well. You then take the rental income, you take the rental income, you deduct any allowable expenses, so an insurance premiums, agent fees, commissions, genuine repairs and so on. And then your profits are taxed at your basically your income tax rate, which is either going to be 20%, 40% or 45%. In most of the UK, in Scotland, it'll be 19, 20, 21, 42 or 47%, depending on what tax you're paying. In In terms of interest on the, or mortgage interest, you can get some help with that in terms of tax. Basically, once you've worked out your tax liability, you should get a 20% tax credit for any mortgage interest that you pay. It's like a tax reducer. It's a bit complicated I won't go into it too much but essentially you should get a 20% tax credit for any mortgage interest you pay on your property. If you've got a furnished holiday let or you're renting commercial property you basically get tax free for the whole of the mortgage interest. But for a residential property they're basically capping the amount of tax relief you get for mortgage interest. And then finally go for Mate, the whole that life. is an absolute oh sorry. Yeah yeah no go for it. So I was gonna say just to just to finish it <laughs> off you know if you you know going for the life cycle of the property when you sell the property you've got to pay capital gains tax on the difference between the sales proceeds and the cost of acquiring the property. Covered against tax, that's payable at 18% if you're a basic rate taxpayer, or 28% if you're a higher or additional higher rate taxpayer. And unlike stamp duty, that's the same throughout the UK. So a number of things to think about when you buy, when you sell, and when you actually own the property in the meantime.
0: Mate, that was awesome. There's way more to it than that. And I'm sure all the property fans will be in the comments section. But yeah, I was just gonna say about the Mm -hmm. A mortgage interest relief, if it's a furnished holiday let or commercial property, because that is a significant consideration. So just have a think about that. Awesome. Back to our little table then. What score should I give property mate for tax efficiency potential? I mean, it's again difficult to
1: to, well, it's all all been difficult to score really. Isn't it like? Obvious, it's definitely this, definitely that. Well, some of them, okay. Sometimes it is, but for this, you know, you've got to think about when you sell sell your house, for example. Capital gains tax is much lower than income tax, but you've got quite significant potential potential stamp duty at the front. You've got to actually deal with the 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 rental income tax in the middle. When you actually get the rental income, rental profits, you've got to pay the tax on that. You've got to be make the payments under the payment on payment on account system you have got to tell HMRC returns so it's not you know the, the the end the end of it when you get that that lovely if you fingers crossed it's gone up in value and you're selling it that's going to be at a lo- much lower capital gains tax rate than you would pay if you got that money as income tax so there are some benefits definitely some disadvantages i'm going to go middle of the road and do a 3 that's my that's what i would say as a score again you know people may disagree with that it's not you know they how much do you value the, the lovely capital gains tax rate at the end, which is much lower than income tax versus, you know, the pain of the stamp duty costs up front, the the rental income elements of that, you know, it's generally seen as well that, you know, right or wrongly, that governments are less keen on people, you know, buying additional houses, for example, to rent out throughout the UK, different administrations are do seem to be making it a little bit more difficult as time goes on? Things may change even, to the, even worse than that as time goes on, but who knows what's going to happen, I guess.
0: I, I think that final point is a great point. Like taxation policy is designed to drive behavior. If you actually drill back into what the government have done to change the taxation of, you know, for example, buy-to-let, it's obvious that they're literally trying to crush buy-to-let, certainly small investors who can't run it via a limited company, maybe. So, you know, taxation policy should drive your behavior. So yeah, I just think if you look at the the history of what the successive governments have done here, they're trying to drive you away from this for whatever reason. So I think that makes 16 for property investing. Do you concur, accountant? I do indeed. Yep. yep. There you go. I feel under pressure doing maths in public. Now, I just want to add a really quick one here, right? Because we've talked about property, okay? But we have kind of missed off investing, okay? So well, by this, right? I'm just going to add a quick cheeky category here of investing so i mean investing in stocks and shares something that we talk about all the time okay so i'm going quick quick on this one ease of starting well you do need to know what you're doing so you can consult a financial advisor like the ones on medics money uh, it's perfectly possible to do it yourself as well but you really do need to know what you're doing but it is so when i first started investing however many years ago it was now i think it could be like 12 years ago It was very hard. There wasn't all these online platforms and it wasn't that easy, but now it's very easy, arguably too easy uh, for some people. But I'm gonna give this like, to get started in a simple investment strategy, I'm gonna give that a four. Income generation, so like money now. I think it's one of the big myths about investing is that people start investing and they think, oh, I'm gonna start making tons of passive income per month. Well, if you think about, you know, let's say you average 6% return, to make a decent passive income every month, you are gonna need an absolute wedge load of cash in there, generating it. So instant income generation from investing, if you do not have a lot of money, like when I started investing, it's not great. Like, you know, the, it's, it's not, you know, 6% of a hundred pounds is not gonna pay any kind of bill, but over time it, it will mount up. So initial income generation, it scores low for me. What, what sort of number are you feeling here, mate? Well, yeah, two or three would what, what you yeah i'm Isn't happy we, with that yeah I, I just think some people start investing and think you know it, it, investing is a long-term play you know you know a minimum five years ideally like the longer the better because it will compound so you don't start investing in stocks and shares and start pulling out dividends straight away because it will a destroy your long-term returns but b like when i started investing i was investing like 50 pounds a month i wasn't making much but now 12 years later that compounded for 12 years and with subsequent investments on top of it yeah, it's going alright, which kind of brings me on to wealth generation. I think this is a five mate, like this is a tried and tested way to get wealthy. This is how wealthy people got wealthy by investing. So yeah. unless I hear strong objections from you, I'm putting it at a five. Sounds good. All right, nice. Passive. You know, <laughs> I, I literally look at my portfolio once a year when I do my annual financial review. A direct debit goes in every month automatically, you know, pay yourself first, something we've talked about loads in the past. So you know, I'm giving this a high passive rating. Again, I'm feeling a five. Overwhelm me if you think I'm loving right. investing too much here. Go but I... it. it's passive, man. Yeah. Genuine. Yeah. Tax.
1: It kind of depends on what you what you do. Tax. There's yeah.
0: loads that you can do here tax-wise. Like, as I said, taxation policy should drive your behavior. So the government is making it, you get £20,000 a year annual ICE allowance completely tax-free. So I'm going to give it a five for tax. Do you think that's a bit strong?
1: No. I think, you know... You know, five vices. but even then, you oh, know, it's... if you're, you know, it'd be, it'd be worse if you're investing directly in, in certain companies, for example. But still, you know, it's overall investing is you get better tax rates than income tax, for example. So it's still very good, but ISAs are the way forward. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You can invest twenty thousand pounds per adult, uh, and don't forget about the kids, right? Nine thousand pounds per kid. So in my family. Uh, me, me, and my wife could do twenty thousand each. I would just like to say that we're not, but in theory we could, right? That's nice. forty thousand plus uh, nine grand for each of the kids. You know, that's a lot of tax-free investing per year. So I love it. um Doing speed maths here. Help me out. Is that twenty-one? Boom. All right. Investing comes strong. Okay. Final category. We've gone in a lot deeper than I was anticipating here, but I think it's useful because we've definitely covered this off thoroughly. Starting a business. This is a difficult part of the page for me to write on, but my hand is performing well. Okay, business. So, yeah, I guess like starting a business, which obviously we do have some knowledge about. So ease of starting. It's difficult, isn't it? It's not massively easy to just set up a business. You know,
1: this is, you know, I guess we'll be supposing that already you've got your idea. You know, exactly what you're doing, how to do it. You know, you know. Assuming you even know that, then actually enacting all of that is really tricky. You know, we, you know. How are you going to get the capital, the investment to put in there? Do you need premises? Do you need staff? Do you need all these things? How are you going to market it? How are you going to get, get the word out there? It's it is it is not massively easy, I would say. But then again, I'm sure there are people out there yeah. with business ideas that are, you know, where setting up a business may be much easier. It kind of depends on the business, doesn't it? a little bit, but I still would say overall, it's not that easy, especially getting the business going and getting the word out as well.
0: It it does. And also, this is like first world entitled people's problems. But if you are a doctor, okay, you're you're already got a job which pays you a reasonable amount of money. Okay, so what is the chance that you start a business maybe in a completely different field to that one that you've trained ie medicine? What is the chance of that? Is this going to start spitting out more money than then you get paid as a doctor. In my opinion, incredibly low. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. It definitely could happen, but it's it's hard. So I'm feeling like ease of starting, it could be a one.
1: Yeah, I'd go one or two. Yeah, I think one's pretty fair. Again, depends on the business, but yeah, one, I think. Let's go for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. Income generation, I guess I kind of just alluded to this, but again, just say like, you know, instant money. Well, I guess, you know, you are going to get fairly it depends what you choose and if you're not sure what to choose watch my previous youtube video on that because i did kind of outline my fourth part framework about how i think about this but instant income is possible but i don't think it's it's going to be hard to beat your <laughs> doctor salary certainly in the early stages yeah there is every What's chance on?
1: you know you might actually make a make a loss in the first year or so you know it's going sound really bleak and negative, and I don't mean it to be at all, because, you know, I love the idea of people setting up businesses. And it's, it's incredibly entrepreneurial and exciting, but I don't know what the stat is, but I think uh, a vast, vast, vast amount of small businesses fail in the first few years. You know, they they make losses initially, and they can't sustain those losses. They don't really generate much income at all, if any, and they, yeah, they kind of go under. So that sounds really negative and bleak. I don't mean it to be, but, you know. And then, then, of course, in contrast, you might get a business that's just so stellar that from the bat you know the income just kind of rolls in but i think you're right i think income generation you know especially in the first years is going to be quite tricky uh, quite low
0: yeah before we get to the score i totally agree with what i said That we're not being bleak here we're just being realistic here i think the media focuses on success stories and you know everyone's got a six-figure business it seems that is actually incredibly difficult to do so if you've done that well done but back in the real world i think it's harder than you think and as you say most the majority of businesses fail within the first couple of years so what should we go two
1: yeah let's go for two average out between the i feel
0: yeah i mean i'm so pro entrepreneurial and i would love like loads of other doctors to start their own thing and i love that so many of you out there are so this is looking a bit bleak but don't be put off i'm just saying it's not easy right okay now we're getting good wealth generation now I'm going to assume that this business works. You know, this is a way to build intergenerational wealth in, in theory. So, if you say I can't put a five, I want to hear a very good reason why I can't put a five for wealth generation, mate. Well, I mean, it's again. I mean, the only reason
1: to not put a five is just based on the fact that uh, a lot of businesses actually do fail. But as you say, if you're assuming that the business is going to succeed, so that's that was what you that was your opening sentence. Before you started saying it's going to be a five, then yeah, if the business is going to succeed, it's brilliant on your business, you know, rolling up the capital and that, getting the, you know, you'll be a shareholder. If you try to buy a company, then you know, the shares in your business the value will go up. You know, it just, yeah, it's, it is excellent for fourth generation if it succeeds, which you've just said we're going to assume it does. So go for it.
0: You might have talked me into a four there <laughs> because I think you've raised some valid points. Let us know in the comments whether we should score that a five or a four. I think, I think you've talked me into a four. My you've talked me down. That's the negative attitude you down. Stay away with your dose of accountant based realism. Okay. <laughs> passive income potential. I want to show you this one more time. Okay. Because if you do not want to work more hours and stop trading one hour of your time for money, one hour of money, then there's only a few things on this list that we're making that satisfy this criteria and starting your own business, gets you in this bottom category where you are trading one hour potentially for many units of money. So I want to put five, you're going to drag me down to reality. Well, Talk me through well, it.
1: Once you, if you, if you said it be a business and the, the ideal for a business naturally would be that you're going away and you know, you're, you're doing, let's say you're doing your, your normal doctor job and in the background, it's like churning out income and your bank balance is growing. But how much how many hours how much how much activity are you going to be putting into that dual business the growth the the, the kind of I don't know, slog of growing it but then it's something the thing about that is as well even if you even if you do if you even if you are kind of grafting and trying to get the business growing usually though it's your own business and that the excitement of doing that the fact that you're actually doing something for yourself makes it all the war worthwhile so go for it give, give it a four
0: Yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, as soon as Ed started speaking, you'll see that I conceded my five down to a four. Yeah, again, I think you're absolutely right. Like a lot of people start a business think it's going to be passive income. Unfortunately, that is a myth. It is incredibly hard work to grow something. Uh, It takes a lot of time and passion and all the things I talked about in the previous YouTube video. Uh, I concede to you, sir, and four. I will bow to your opinion on the next category, tax. I guess we've already covered most of this. Yeah, that's the
1: thing. So if you're going to set up a business, you know, you've got – multiple different op- options for trading you know you could be a sole trader you could be set up as a company you could even you know and actually like in theory it does work for other se- sections as well you could even set up a partnership or it's called a limited liability partnership with with, with your spouse or a partner or a friend or a colleague and that's another another option you've got you know and like i alluded to with the private work, this is probably more, you know, you're more likely to be able to one day, if it grows, if, if it succeeds, if you're doing really well, you might be able to one day sell that business and take advantage of the really generous capital gains tax rates that you've got in the UK, as opposed to, let's say, income tax rates. So, you know, I think the tax situation is is, is actually pretty good if you, you know, you're here. I know we said three for, for private work, but I think in this case, given that you are more likely to have to sell the business, I think I'll give it a four to be honest. I think it's, I think it's pretty good.
0: Yeah, I was feeling a four as well there. Okay, awesome. So quick maths, it's not that quick. Was that 15? 15, yeah. Okay, that was a massive session. This has been, that's the end of our mini series on YouTube on starting a side hustle. Just to reiterate, like we are massively pro side hustle, but I think that last column is good for a dose of reality in our experience. In summary, for me, when I'm looking at this, so when I graduated, I don't want to go through my rags to. It's not really rags to riches, it's rags to not completely broke story. You know, I did a ton of locum work and that was great for cash flow. Interestingly, the rates for locum work haven't really changed in the last 10 years since I was doing it, which is absolutely shocking. The only thing I would say about doing ton of locum work is just think about your mental health. You know, you're already working incredibly long hours and then you go and, you know, I did some crazy long stints where I basically hardly ever saw my wife. It was necessary I don't really miss those days. So just have a think about that. If you've got to do it, you've got to do it. I've been there. So sympathies, Mm. private work. I think we're going to see more and more of this. I think, you know, it's got on a 12 there, but you have a skill which you have trained incredibly hard to get. And if you want to pay your bills, including your student loan and all those years and years of being in debt, and the NHS is no longer paying you enough to cover that, it's the obvious thing. Hopefully I'm not saying anything too controversial here, mate, but I think private work is going to explode real soon. Yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, and just actually,
1: that's a good point. I, we should probably make sure we were clear on that. Um, we're only looking at these, what, sort of five categories and there are definitely other things to think about in all these things. And as you said, Tommy, you know, your your time is a huge thing. Don't, don't please don't, you know, work yourself so hard that, you know, your mental health suffers and you know, et cetera. That's really important to to, to mention. Likewise, private work—you know—you you have a lot more flexibility as to how much you offer there, which a lot of people love. Um, and when you work, how you work, what you do—you know—you might be able to charge higher fees. Whatever, it's just you know, there's lots of things in there that we we're not mentioning, so we're not saying, you know, it looks like we're saying all oh, private work and doing like income shift are pretty much the same sort of thing. That's exactly definitely not what we're saying at all um, in, in this situation. And and as you, and just on that point again, uh, you mentioned about private work exploding. I mean, I think there's a recent survey saying that forty three percent of consultants that do private work are going to increase the amount that they do which is a huge huge number so i agree i think it's going to explode
0: yeah we've noticed uh, a lot of consultants using medics money to or other uh, people uh, using medics money to find a specialist medical accountant that actually understands private work so based on that we think it's exploding as well and it's really important that you get a specialist medical accountant for this not your average accountant I think we've made that pretty clear over time. We're going a bit like deep and philosophical towards the end of this as well. But the older I get, the more I value time and health over money. And I suppose that's because once upon a time I had absolutely zero money. uh, But now I'm starting to get to that point where I'm trading off the money versus the time with my family and et cetera. I'm not getting any younger. I mean, I'm, I'm getting old, mate. I'm doing a podcast in my slippers and tracky bees and talking about uh, time versus money so i'm going to move on quickly to talk about surveys i, I say i did surveys back in the day uh, i'm probably going to do some more because we've got a sponsor uh, that's kindly sponsoring medics money uh, that, that's that's doing it as well i just think it's just like quick easy it doesn't take too much time it's potentially very lucrative depending on your speciality and your grade i i, I love surveys as like quick money and in the states you know i hear of doctors doing you know five figure amounts on surveys Not sure anyone's doing that in this country, but if you are, let us know in the comments. Property investing, I think tax is tricky, but not an insurmountable problem. You do need capital to start. I know there's like people advertising on Facebook, like I didn't have any capital down and I bought these 10 blocks of flats. Yeah, that's because they're absolutely leveraged. They're borrowing a ton of money. It ain't a great time to borrow a ton of money right now. And getting over leveraged is one of the absolute rookie mistakes that you can make out there. But long term... As a long-term wealth generation, I like property. Don't know what are your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I so say I don't. I haven't got down that route, but I
1: don't have the the, the capital to, to to do it. But yeah, I mean, for those people it, for whom it works, it works really well. As you say, the long-term gains. Yes, properties are going down in value at the moment, but overall, in general, if you look at the long-term game, the wealth generation is, is is amazing. So pretty good.
0: Yeah. And as you sort of said, you can have an asset which cash flows, i.e. pays you money every month. And at the end, if you dispose of it, there's various you know, ways that you can dispose of it in a reasonably tax efficient way or pass it on to the next generation. So, so I, I like that. But I, I don't like it as much as I love investing. I just think stocks and shares, ISA every month on autopilot, however much you can afford. Start early. Just keep it simple. And and then when you get to age 55 and you're completely burnt out from working in the NHS and you've still got to wait until 68 to take your NHS pension, you can just get all of that that money that you've got from investing and retire when you want. So take control. I just think the government are making it so easy with like ISIS and everything. The platform's are making it so easy. A little bit of knowledge, which you definitely need to consider or taking financial advice and, and you're in. Uh, yeah. but I, I know you love investing as well so yeah and also don't forget to get a balanced yeah. perspective if you're under 40
1: don't forget you've also got the option of a lifetime isa as well where the government will top it up by 25 percent. so you put that you know four, if you've got four thousand pounds i know a lot of people don't but you can put up to four thousand pounds into a lifetime isa if you're less if you're younger than 40 i like me and tommy but putting four thousand pounds into a stocks and shares ISA, the government will put in an extra one thousand pounds into it for you and then hopefully but we just grow and grow and grow. So, you know, definitely consider that as well.
0: Yeah. Final category, starting a business. I think if you think you fulfill the criteria that I talked about in the very first ser- episode of this series, which was that you've got an idea that solves a problem for lots of people, you've got a plan to monetize it, you're very passionate about it, and you have um, some kind of unfair advantage, which means that you are the best person to do that, then business can make a lot of sense. And I guess the final thing to say is that I'm all in on diversification of everything, income streams, assets, everything. Diversification is the only free lunch investing. I've done a YouTube video about that. You know, you don't have to just do property investing. And I do see this quite a lot, like people just do property investing. Why don't you do a bit of property and a bit of stocks and shares investing, diversify. Then if property goes down, stock market's on the up. Overall, you're still winning. If you can get yourself into a position where you're always winning, you're gonna be in a great position. And likewise if you're at the start of your career or you're struggling for cash like i was back in the day you do have a monetizable skill here as a doctor and your monetizable skill is to help people and make them better and i still think even though i have all these other things going on i still think being a doctor is the best job in the world i mean we get paid to help people and make them better so yeah absolutely absolutely it's but yeah definitely
1: diversification of income assets brilliant definitely worth thinking about and and, uh, like you say as well you know yeah if you've got if you meet all those criteria about setting up your own business you know doing it is such a great thing to do when it works it's such a beautiful thing to grow your own business it's so exciting
0: yeah definitely It, it really is awesome thank you so much for watching if you found this useful if you could leave us a rating hit subscribe if you leave us a review that even helps even better and mainly, if you think this would help one of your friends, and we're all in this together, remember, just tell your friends about it. I hope it helps, and see you on the next episode.
1: Cool. Yeah, thanks, guys.
0: Bloody hell, that went mammoth.